You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, it's it's summertime, and a few years ago, uh, during uh, the summer, we went to uh, to SeaWorld in San Antonio. We like going to San Antonio. It's one of our favorite places to go to. Uh, yeah, San Antonio folks. And um, we went there on our, in our, uh, on our honeymoon, and we go there. Uh, we try to go almost every year. And uh, one year we were going to SeaWorld, and uh, we were staying downtown. And if you've ever been to SeaWorld from San Antonio, it, it really feels like it's way out there in the middle of nowhere. So uh, we're driving and driving, and on the map it says that it's only like, like 20 minutes away. But 30 minutes came, and then, and then 40 minutes came, and then an hour came, and then an hour and a half, and I had totally lost where we were. And um, I uh, was <laughs> so frustrated because uh, I needed some direction, and, and I thought maybe I could try this way, try that way, try this way. Let's just say we finally made it to SeaWorld. Uh, we got lost for about an hour, and... Um, Fortunately, I know how to get to SeaWorld now, uh, but it was a road trip that I won't forget because it was filled with high hopes when we left and it, we barely got to, to SeaWorld with our sanity in place because I have a schedule. I have a plan. We got to be out of the room by a certain amount of time. And, and then all of a sudden I'm ready, but nobody else is. It's the story of my life. And, uh, so it's, when you live with girls, it just, embrace that. I, girls have a little bit more to get ready, I guess. And, and I'm glad because, you know, my, my girls are pretty and uh, my wife is beautiful. But it's like, it's like, I got a plan. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And they're running late. So I'm like pacing. I'm getting grumpy. I'm, you know, I'm barking, you know, like, like us men we do. And uh, we're like, come on. And, uh, and then we get in the car and we're finally on the road. And guess who puts us an hour and a half behind? Me, because of my stupid directions, because I didn't know the way. Uh, we're going to talk about the way, and we're going to take a road trip today. Um, we've been talking about the I am. Uh, Jesus said, in the face of death, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, in an unsatisfying world, I am the bread of life. In the dark of night, I am the light of the world. And when you're tired and afraid, I am the gate. And last week we talked about when you need direction and you need care, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now, what's important to understand about this is that I and you, we, I will never understand who I am until I understand the I am. And these are the I am statements of Christ. Today, the mother of all politically incorrect statements from Jesus. This one statement stirs more attacks upon Christians than any other verse in the entire Bible. And it's probably or possibly the most important verse that Jesus ever said. It's one of the great I am's and it is uh, something that's going to send us into a decision today. You will have to make a decision about this verse today. Before we do, I need to take a quick sushi break. Could you tell that's what this was down here? This is sushi. Now, uh, yes, I did buy the Kroger's, all right? But I went in thinking I would have yesterday's sushi. And guess what? Right there on the spot was fresh made sushi. It wasn't even sealed and packaged. She was just, so this is like fresh 
sushi. Now, this is a California roll, so there, that means there's no meat in it. And uh, sushi is, is yummy. Anybody here like sushi? Anybody that likes some California roll? Mmm. I should have totally thought this out a little better. <laughs> I'll be spitting sticky rice. <laughs> All right. I got chopsticks in the bag over here, but I'm going to share this sushi with somebody who wants it. Stephen, you're the first guy. You're running the sound. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to take some sushi and then spread it around a little bit. All right. If there's any left. All right. So, Tiny, could you give this to, to Stephen? I got another one down here that I'm going to be uh, munching on. Uh, sushi. You know what? We have uh, a faith a lot like sushi. We have sushi faith. Let me explain. Sushi is, um, if you look at the roll, it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Pick a part of this, pick a part of that, all rolled together, and you have a bite. And what I find is that uh, no sushi place on the planet is alike. You know, there's the customary sushi roll, but basically the, all the specialty rolls and all the rolls that, that make us, I mean, there's like, you go to different sushi places, they have their signatures, they have their flavors, they have their style, they have their own kind of way of doing things. And, and each place is special. There's no two sushi rolls or restaurants the same. And what I like about sushi is that you do get to pick a little bit of this, a little bit of that. In fact, who doesn't like sushi? Raise your hand. Uh, Keep your hand up. If you have your hand up, put your hand down if you've never tried sushi. Case in point, a lot of you have your hand up. You say, I don't like sushi. You never even tried it. All right, so how do you know you don't like, well, I don't like raw fish. Well, good news, guess what? You can have fried chicken in your sushi. That's right. There's fried chicken sushi rolls. There's fried shrimp sushi rolls. There's cooked fish sushi rolls. There's even deep fried sushi. Mm. They take a roll and they will deep fry it in a fry later. Everything fried is better. They deep fry this sushi roll and then they come out, you know, it comes out with the rolls. And it's like, oh, and then they have baked sushi rolls as well. Like things, they have a, like avocado roll over here. They have what's called the volcano. I like the volcano. And every little bite, every little piece has got like this little like inferno drop on it. So it looks like a little volcano. It's delicious. You can, my wife was like, sushi, no way. Until I had a friend who introduced me to the right place and I brought sushi home and she's been on board ever since. So she's a big sushi fan. Now, but the thing about sushi is some of us have sushi theology. We, we take a little bit of this. We take a little bit of that. We pick and choose what we want and we roll it together. And each one of us has our own little way of living for God. And, and you know what? Sushi faith is not God's plan for us. A lot of us think, well, to each his own. And we treat our walk with God like sushi. And you take it you don't take it, you take this part, you, you don't take this part, you, you know, and, and you, you pick and choose like, like God's some sort of buffet where you can decide what you're going to believe or not. Well, today, Jesus addresses this issue of sushi theology in his last night before the cross. He was meeting with his disciples. He washes their feet. He has the last supper. He breaks bread with them. He uh, tells them that he will die and that 
they will betray him and that one specifically will betray him and the others will abandon him. But then this is what he says. Verse 1 of 14, in the course of that evening, he says, but do not let your hearts be troubled. He says, don't worry. Trust in God. Trust also in me. By the way, trusting in Jesus is the way to cure a troubled heart. So it goes on to say, in my father's house are many rooms. A lot of uh, translations will say mansions. That doesn't mean that God has a mansion for you. The word many rooms or the word mansions is, is translated properly dwelling places. And see, this is significant because in their culture, they had maybe a bottom floor and a top floor and maybe a room divider, but that was it. So here comes Jesus saying, man, God's house is so big. The Father's house has many, many, many rooms. This is a big place. So this is greater than the king's palace. He says, Jesus is describing, I love this, heaven like a house with a family. He says, dad is waiting for us at home. He goes on to say, he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. See, Jesus is, is making ready a place for some of us. We're going to find out here in a minute, not everybody goes to heaven, according to Jesus, according to the Bible. But for those of us that are his kids, that are his sheep, guess what? He's, he's preparing a place for some of us. And dad's at the house waiting for us. He goes on to say, he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. That's, that's something that is rarely talked about in Christian churches, and that is Jesus is coming back. He says, I'm coming. As surely as I came one time, I'm coming back. He says, and when I come back, he goes, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. He goes on to say, he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Now, he says, I'm not going to be here for much longer. The very night, that very night, just hours later, early in the, in the morning, he is arrested. He's taken to the cross. He is crucified. Three days later, he rises from the dead. He hangs out with his disciples for 40 days off and on, and then ascends into heaven, and they don't see him again, and they're waiting for him to come back. And Jesus says, that day is quickly coming. You know where I'm going and you know how to get there. But this is what Thomas says. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am a way. I am a truth. I am a light. No, he didn't say that, did he? He said, Jesus answered, I will show you the way I will sh- no he didn't say that this is what he said he said i am the way i am the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me the way to the father is a who not a principle it is a person and this is important because a lot of times we think that if we just follow the rules we'll make it to heaven If we're a good person, we'll make our way. God will look at us and go, you did a good job. You tried, so come on. Some of you, you're living a religious belief, but it's not the way because you're following a principle, not a person. You're following an it, a religion, not a who. And Jesus is saying, the way to the Father is me, a person, a relationship with me. 
He goes on to say, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. He says, from now on, you do know him and you've seen him. He says, because you know me. Philip, one of the other disciples says, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. (laughs) I love Jesus. He puts up with a lot of just stupidity with his disciples. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He says, you want to know God? You're looking at him in the flesh. You see, this is what they were saying. Jesus, yeah, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God, but but show us the Father. Jesus says, how long have we been together that you don't get it? If you've seen me, you've seen him. I am the Father in the flesh. I am God with meat on. I am incarnate. I am, you know, the concarnate of God. I am the one. If you want to see the Father, if you want to know God, he says, you got to know me. And if you know me, you know the Father. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. He says, rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am There's that powerful word, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. You see, this is a verse. There's a verse in there that confronts society. It is the most repulsed word, the the verse for non-Christians on the planet. It's this one verse that causes people to, to basically ridicule a group of Christians the greatest scandal of Christianity is John fourteen six. Jesus says, I am the way. That means I'm the road. I'm the path. I am the journey. I am the route and the truth. That means I am the manifest, unrevealed, very clear answer, word in the flesh. I'm God with skin. He says, and the life. That means I'm the only hope for this life and the only hope for the next life. He says, no one. That's not a one. No exceptions. There is nobody who comes to the Father except through me. No one can embrace, comprehend, understand, grow, know, or connect to the Father without me. Now, Jesus didn't say, I am an option. He didn't say, I am a possibility of many. He didn't say, uh, you know, there is a, a lot of ways, and I'm just, I'm one of the better ones. He didn't say that. There's a little word in this verse that's huge. It's the definite article, the, or the. And the word the is definitive. It means the bottom line. He says, I am definitely, definitively the way. I am the way. You see, this is a confrontational verse because either we say yes or no to this. There's no in between. You see, 70% of people believe that they're going to heaven. That's a lot of people. Only 3% believe that they're going to hell. According to this verse, there's a lot of surprised people. There's a lot of people who are going to be surprised, according to Jesus. Of all of his statement, none of them are as in your face as this one. Most have no problem with Jesus being divine. In fact, a lot of religions believe that Jesus is divine. Many believe that. But this is an exclusive claim that cannot be compromised. In a word, he's saying the human quest for God begins and ends with me, Jesus Christ. So there are basically three views of salvation that dominate our culture. 
And I want to take a look at these real quick because these are the, these are the, the options that churches, Christian churches and other religions give according to if they believe in God and if they believe in heaven. These are the three dominant views. One of them is universalism. That is that there are many ways and that everyone will eventually be saved. I did a street interview uh, a few years ago where I took a microphone, I went down to the West End, and I was just asking, uh, do you think you'll go to heaven? I didn't have a single person tell me that they didn't think they would go to heaven. And then I'd follow up, do you think everybody goes to heaven? And they would go, "Mm, most everybody. I'm like, do you believe in a hell? And almost rarely anybody even said that they believed in a hell. What's interesting here is that most people on the planet believe that everyone will eventually go to heaven. There's also what's known as inclusivism, and that is a a group of Christianity that basically says Jesus is the way, but he uses other religions to get people to heaven. An inclusive person might believe that Jesus is the way for them, but they might say that Jesus will sometimes use Islam or use Buddhism or use some other religion to get people to know heaven or to know God. And they believe that all these roads will lead them eventually to heaven if they are sincere or if they are a good person. And then there's exclusivism, and that is uh, some religions claim this. Christianity claims this according to Jesus. Not all Christians believe this, however, is that there is exclusively only one way to salvation. Now, some of you might say, whoa, 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 you're, man, that is way, way too exclusive. That's so narrow-minded. That's so intolerant. Some might say that's so hateful. That's so bigoted. That's so arrogant. Man, how can you believe that you're right and everybody else is not right? All the billions, 7 billion people in the world, and you're trying to tell me, Ted, that according to Jesus, the majority of them don't know the way, and as a result, they don't know Jesus, and as a result, they won't know the Father? Jesus is the only way. I can't believe that. Some of you, I know Christians that have a hard time believing that. Many people stumble over their faith and in their faith because of this verse right here. Because of the many claims like this, but none of them are as bold and as clear as this one. I find that people are willing to tolerate pretty much any viewpoint except any one that claims to be uniquely true. For example, only 12% of Americans claim their religion is true. Think about that. Only 12% of the people in the United States believe that their religion is true. And 57% of all Christians believe that there are many ways to the Father. <laughs> we don't read our Bible, I guess. I, 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 I don't know what to... It's because this verse, like, that's a little bit hard because I love my neighbors. I love my friends. I love my family. And, and they're not Christians. So are you telling me? That they're, that they're not right with God? Well, I'm not telling you. I'm just, I'm, we're reading the Bible here. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, I find that hard to believe, some might say. But God constructed a highway through sushi theology. We're going to call that Highway 146 today. It's the highway. God has given us a highway in John 14, 6 to lead us to a higher way of life. So, these words in John stir up a few questions. So I'm going to give you some big cues that you might hear this verse and go, well, what about, let's answer some of those questions. The first one is this. Can we really trust that Jesus said this? 
Some might read that, yeah, well, you know, the Bible's been changed, it's been altered, it's been, it's been, you know, there have been religious organizations trying to dominate and control people, and Jesus didn't really say that. There's parts of the Bible we just got to, you know, wink at and just kind of believe that, that there was some, something else, because that's just too harsh, that's too exclusive. John 14, 11, Jesus says, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles themselves. You see, Jesus was a show and tell kind of guy. He didn't just tell them he was the way. He showed them he was the way. And I love that about Jesus. That's why Jesus did the miracles. Man, when God walks into the scene, people's lives are healed. People who are blind see. People who are lame walk. When God walks into the scene, people who are dead come to life. And then Jesus proclaims. He's a show and tell. Let me tell you something. People have got to understand that John is a narrative and an eyewitness to Jesus. He was one of the disciples who walked with Jesus. And it is believed that John is a note for note. The details of John are so detailed that though it was written down and put together years later by John, it is believed because of the detail that it was based upon eyewitness journal accounts of John and what he saw. So I have a question. Can the Bible be trusted? Can Jesus really be trusted to have said this? Well, the New Testament is the most Accurate manuscript in history. Let me give you an example. Short little lesson here. Compare with other well-known undisputed classics. Caesar is a thousand years from its original date. There's only 10 copies. Plato, 1,200 years from the original date, only seven copies. Aristotle, 1,400 years from the original date, only five copies. And these are three uh, pieces of history we quote and we use and we teach and we never question the validity of these items. Though they're in, in some cases thousand plus years away from their original authorship. But take a look at the New Testament. There is over 14,000 different manuscripts and fragments of manuscripts. 14,000. And some of them are as close as 60 years from the original date. And the majority of them are anywhere between 250 and 300 from the date. That means when John wrote his letter, John here, the Gospel of John, to new believers, he wrote it down and it was shared among the churches. Well, they didn't have a Xerox machine, so every time a church got it, they wrote it out, sent it to another one, wrote it out and sent it to another one. And eventually they were collected and solidified and considered to be authentic and reliable. And that's why and how we got the Bible. But they were circulated for years before these copies that we have. Other evidence of the trustworthiness of the Bible and its inspiration is its continuity. 1,500 years, 40 different people, four languages, different cultures, and not a single contradiction over the course of 2,000 years of authorship. We got 66 books here, 27 in the New Testament, Some of these people never met, talked, or knew each other, but yet there's not a single contradiction, and they all point to the life of Jesus. It's fulfilled prophecy, thousands of fulfilled prophecy. Every prophecy that was prophesied was fulfilled or has yet to be fulfilled. Thousands already fulfilled. In Jesus' life, 300 alone prophecies about Jesus were fulfilled through his life. There was also archaeological evidence that means that there were places that supposedly didn't exist that they're finding every day in the Middle East, 
and throughout Iraq. In fact, we've talked about this before. There, there are places that they thought were only mentioned in the Bible and therefore mythological that they are finding and discovering that are real places unlike other religious organizations like the Book of Mormon, which claims a massive society here in the U.S. It's never been found, but yet each year the scriptures are unfolding to be archaeologically true. There's agreement with the facts of life. It's one of the only books of religious writing that honestly gives us the human need and the design and evidence of human failure. Every hero in the Bible has a fault except for the Son of God himself, Jesus. No other religious book has that accuracy or that willingness to be truthful and honest and its ability to change lives through new birth. This is not like a good book that you can read and go, wow, that's inspiring. This is the only book on the planet that when you read life, life is given because in it is the very breath of God speaking to those that will believe and its power to change life is unprecedented. The words that were said, the events took place, sources outside the Bible support this. It was not added to or changed. Gotta love the AMC theater, don't you? I love the theater and I kind of like when the uh, audio comes. I'm just kidding, I don't like it. But I can put up with it. John 14, 5 says this. It says, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said, hey, believe my words, believe the evidence. You know me. Here's the second question we often ask. Well, why would Jesus say something like that? Why would Jesus say such a harsh claim that I am the only way. I'll tell you why. Here's the deal. The Bible unwraps the story. (laughs) It's hard to preach to a song like this. Makes me just want to (laughs) dance. Just kidding. The Bible tells the story of the fall of man. God says that God created us in his image with a purpose and with a design to walk and to know him. When man fell into sin and chose their own way other than God's way, it spiraled all of us into a life of struggle and sin. Well, here comes Jesus. God steps into the scene. And as a result, we're separated from God. But here comes God. And Isaiah 59, 2 says, Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that there... The quietness threw me off. I was like preaching over it and all of a sudden it got quiet. He says this, he says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You see, we have a relationship problem with God. Let me ask you something. When you have a problem in a relationship, what do you do? You either ignore it or you deal with the junk causing the problem. You wouldn't just pretend that it's not there. You see, we have some junk with God and us. We have a relationship and God doesn't ignore the junk in our life. God doesn't ignore the sin. God instead sends his only son, injects himself into history. His story is our story. He says, here I am. I am the way. I am here to rescue you, to bring relationship, to reconcile. I'm here. See, sin, if we were left to ourselves, we would self-destruct. Jesus said, I'm here to intervene. This is how I am the way. See, Jesus was not just anyone. Why would Jesus say such a thing? Well, Jesus claimed to be God alone. No religious figure in history like Jesus has made such a claim. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Confucius. Jesus performed miracles unmatched by any so-called historical figure. 
Jesus never sinned. He never modified his message. He never apologized. He never asked for prayer. He was perfect and sinless. Jesus came to die. This was his mission. His life was selfless. And Jesus rose from the dead. Anyone who honestly seeks the truth will find an empty tomb because Jesus is alive. And not a single historical proven figure in the world has conquered the grave. Jesus alone. Every crime must have justice and every sin must have payment. Jesus took a road trip from heaven to us. The payment for sin was the perfect lamb of God. Sinless, punished for our crimes, Jesus said, I am the way. Well, you might read that verse and go, what if I don't believe it? What if I don't believe that Jesus is the way? Some will white knuckle the wheel and they will take their own trip and they will go go their own way and spend their life at maybe a few places, a few destinations that are disappointing and destructive, like for instance, Pleasureville. Some will say, I don't believe that. So they'll go to Pleasureville and you might, how many rides can you ride? How many girls can you go out with? How many boys can you go out with? How many games can you play? How many tickets can you win? It's all about adventures and you'll acclaim and acquire and do all that your heart desires in Pleasureville, but you'll still be left empty and void. Some will white knuckle the wheel and they will drive straight to Attainmentville. Some of you have PMS, power, money, and stuff and they leave you cranky. That rush when you buy something, it's funny, isn't it? That, that, that rush when you buy something, it will temporarily numb the void, but ultimately you'll end up wanting more, and you might even end up in Doubtville. Lobbing questions at God. You see, most here don't really want to know the answers. They just want to keep the questions as a wall to confront the answer. They don't want to deal with their own lives, so they mock Highway 146. So maybe you're in Pleasureville, maybe you're in Attainmentville, and maybe you found yourself in Doubtville. This is what Proverbs 14:12 says. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction. You see, there is a better way. There is a freeway. And this freeway is the highway of 146. The freeway, it's, it's a, see, the way to Jesus is not something we deserve. And it's not, not something we can pay for. It's not something we can do anything to attain. It is free. It is God's grace and love given to those who will take that exit. You see, religion is a tollway. See, when you want religion, when you try to buy your way to heaven, it just will ask you for more and for more and for more. You pay to ride. You give a little. You serve a little. You try to be good. You only run the toll occasionally, but you have religion. See, some have a Home Depot faith. You're convinced that you can do it yourself. Jesus is telling us that he did not leave us to do it ourselves, and that we can never do it ourselves. He is giving us instructions. He's giving us a roadmap. He's given us a road trip I am the way, the truth, the life, Highway 146. Here's the fourth question someone might ask, what about those who are sincere about another way? What about those who are sincere about Buddhism or about Hinduism or about some other religious belief? What if it's somebody who doesn't believe that Jesus is the way? What about, can someone sincerely be wrong? I mean, surely God looks at their sincerity and says, come on in, you're sincere. Sincerely wrong, but sincere. 
John 14, 8, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father that we can know that you are him and that will be enough. Jesus immediately corrects him and says, no, you've got it wrong. I am the Father. You see, even among his disciples who are in the process of still learning, Jesus had to correct their thinking. And I want you to know today, maybe some of you need to have your thinking corrected by Jesus today. Let me think about it like this. If I wanted to talk to the president today, could I randomly call any number and expect to get the president? Answer me. No, of course not. I'd be, I'd be crazy. Give me a phone. Beep, 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 beep. Hello, Mr. President. I've got some questions and some complaints. Don't take it personal. No, I would, there, there's only one line to get to the president to his house, and I don't know it. I, I, you might think I would, but I don't. There's only one number that reaches his home, and saying that there are many roads to God is like saying I can dial any number I want and expect to get the president. You see, you can't drive down any road you want and expect to find yourself in California. You see, you can't just take any pill you want and expect to fix your headache because some will kill you and some will make it worse. You see, two plus two equals four. That's pretty narrow. Man, that's a narrow statement. How can you claim that? Well, that's because the truth is narrow. See, Christianity teaches that Jesus is the deity of of God in the flesh. Christianity teaches uh, the deity, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ are at the heart of faith. Islam rejects them all. Judaism rejects them all. Hinduism teaches that there are over 300 million gods and rejects them all. And many believe that there is no God at all. What do we do with that? We can't all be right. Because truth is narrow. Well, that's a narrow claim. Well, that's because truth is exclusive. If truth were open to whatever we wanted to believe, then there would be no truth. God is not schizophrenic. He did not go to one side of the planet and say one thing, go to the other side and say another. Sincerity cannot turn a lie into the truth. And when it comes to knowing God, truth matters. The reality is absolute truth exists. And Jesus' declaration is both graciously simple and undeservedly absolute. 1 John 5, 12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. See, it's, a, it's, a, it's about the have and have-nots when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to Jesus. You see, and the gospel is not being a good person. The gospel is not loving on people. The gospel is not giving a drink of water or feeding the homeless or caring for the or Those are the responses of a heart that follows God, but that is not the gospel. The gospel means good news. The gospel is a message. The gospel is a proclamation. And we are to be... People who bear the gospel, the news, the proclamation, the words of Jesus. And then our life reflects through love and through caring for each other, and through reaching out for those that can't help, for them, uh, help themselves. That's the response of a changed heart. But the gospel is not that. The gospel is a message. And the message is, Jesus, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. We lovingly and respectfully can disagree with people, but we unreservedly and unashamedly declare the good news. Instead of being upset about the highway being so narrow, we should be thankful that God has made it so clear and so 
simple. Here's the fifth question that we'll ask. What about the people who have never heard? What about the people who never get a chance to hear? What about the Aborigine in Australia or the, the native in South America? What about the person in that tribe in, in the deep heart of Africa? What about the, the people in Islamic countries that are never and have never been told? What can we do with that? Well, let's, let's, first of all, let's get real. What is the motivation of that question? Because the motivation of that question is really, are you really concerned about that person who hasn't heard or is it a smokescreen for you to hide behind? so that you don't have to do anything to tell them. See, sometimes we think God owes us an explanation for the way that he does things. The creature demanding the creator to explain himself. This is what Deuteronomy 29, 29 and Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says. In Deuteronomy it says, God is God. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us. He said, there are some things that God will reveal to us, and he's given them to his people. But there are some things you're just never going to know because God chooses to keep them to himself. Because there are just some things we won't understand. We don't know it all. We will never know it all. We will not fully understand. This is what Isaiah says. God is saying, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my, uh, your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, we, we just won't know everything. And, and what about those that never hear? I, I, I don't know about that, but I know this. I know this is what we know that is clear. I want you to write this down. Things that we know for sure is number one, God sent Jesus to rescue a broken world. He, I don't know if you've read the news today, yesterday, or looked out your window. The world is broken. The world is hurting. The world is spiraling into chaos. It's not getting better. It seems that it's getting worse. And Jesus did not come to add another way. He came to make a very clear way to a rescue. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came into the world to seek and to save what was lost. That's why he arrived. If, if there was a way that could have already saved us, Jesus didn't have to come. If there was another option, another way, another possibility that had already been there, Jesus would not have needed to show up. But he says, the world is broken. I am the way. This is what else we know. God will respond to those who honestly seek to know him. Those that don't know him around the planet, uh, if, if you've ever done mission work, it's amazing and a miracle how God works and moves in the heart of people who are waiting for a missionary to come, who are waiting for someone to give them the truth. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says, you will seek me and when you find me, <laughs> and when you seek me with all, uh, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. If one is truly seeking God, I believe God will reveal himself to that person who has never heard and God will responsibly send somebody or put them in a position where they can meet Jesus and know Jesus. Not another way, but Jesus. How? Well, I don't know, but God does. And I see it all the time in mission work. I see it all. You know, some of you, you have in your heart, a tug in your heart to go someplace to do something. Some of you right now, some of you right now, are man, I've always wanted to go to Africa just for a trip. You know why? Because someone in Africa is going, God, 
Where are you? Send somebody to teach me. Some of you have it in your heart. We're going to Haiti in a, in a couple of months. And some of you, man I, man, I wanted to go to Haiti. I really wish I could go. And some of you, you heard that voice. That's because someone in Haiti is going, somebody, I, I need some answers. And, and that, that tug in your heart is the response to their prayer. And God's saying, you're the one, now go. And some of you, you can't go, but you can help us go. You know, God is putting it in your heart because somebody is calling and God is responsibly giving them someone who will talk to them. Acts 10, there's a guy named Cornelius. He was a Gentile. He was a soldier. And uh, this is a significant story because he was a guy who the Jewish people despised. And he was a person that even the Jewish Christians were afraid of. He was a Roman soldier. But Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 was a guy who loved God, in quotations. He didn't know God, but he loved God. He wanted to know God. He gave uh, money to the poor, and he prayed a lot, but he didn't know God. So he was crying out to God, God, I want to know you. And God said, I will send someone to talk to you so that you might know and discover the way. Meanwhile, on hundreds of miles away, one of the apostles named Peter was tapped on the shoulder by God and given a dream that he is to go to this soldier's house named Cornelius. So when he shows up at the door, Cornelius says, hold on a minute. And he gets his family, he gets all of his servants, and he sits them all down. And Peter gives the gospel message on on that day, for the very first time in the history of the world, someone who is not of Jewish descent becomes a believer in Jesus, fulfilling scripture that the salvation message is for all and anyone who will believe. The point of the story is this, Cornelius loved God, prayed to God, gave and was a good person to the poor, but he didn't know God. But because he was seeking to know God, God responsibly sent someone to him to reveal Jesus to him. Peter gave him the gospel message of Jesus, the cross, the resurrection. That day, Cornelius was saved and baptized. You see, some of you know God. You're a good person. You're just like Cornelius. But if you're a heart that is honestly, sincerely seeking God, your road has brought you here today. Your your journey has brought you here today. Here's another thing we know for sure, and we're going to wrap this up, is that God has sent us to gather his sheep. See, that is why so many times in the Bible, Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. Go and preach the gospel Because we are the hope of salvation to anyone who will believe. We are God's plan A. We are his people. Do we believe his words? Do you believe what he says? Listen to this. If it's true, out of the 7 billion people on the planet, only a third of the people claim to know Jesus Christ. If that's true, that's nearly 4.5 billion people who don't know Jesus Christ today. And if they were to die tonight, if they don't know Jesus, if Jesus is true, if what Jesus said is true, Apart from Jesus, 4.5 billion people are lost, if it's true. Millions of people in DFW, there's over uh, 2 million people, 3 million people in the DFW Metroplex, and of them, millions of them are on a road leading to an eternal torment because we have Christians who are thinking, God will figure it out. God has figured it out. You know what he said? Go. Go and tell them. Knock on your neighbor's door. Go ring that doorbell. Take over some cookies. Introduce yourself to that coworker next to you. Religion is not sushi where you can pick and choose what you want. There is a very 
simple, beautiful way, Jesus and those that hear who are moved on by the heart of God, by the spirit of God will respond. So if you believe this, it changes everything. If we believe this as a church, it changes the way we pursue things in life. It changes the way we are doing things in church. If this is true, we don't have time to play games with our lives and in church and in our neighborhood and in this world because our friends, our family, this world needs to know. Eternity is a stake for our children, for our students, for our families, for singles who need to know. If this is true, it changes everything. Here's the fourth thing we know, that God is good and just, and everyone will answer to God. This is what Psalm 89, 14 says. It says, God, is, his righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, God. Love and faithfulness go before you. See, he is righteous, that's holy and pure and good, and just. That means sin will be accounted for. But he's also faithful and loving to anyone who will respond. He embodies all love and truth. That means all of us will have a day where we stand before God. And we have a choice where he will either look at us and see Jesus, or he will look at us in our sin. You see, when the dust settles at the end of time, I'm not going to look at God and go, God, you were so uncool. God, look at all those people that didn't make it. That's so unfair. When the dust settles, I will see a God who is faithful, who is righteous, who is loving, who is just. I will say, thank you, God, that for whatever reason, you moved on my heart and I responded. You are holy. You are just. You called me. Thank you, God. In your life, your road is paved a way right to this place today. Jesus has been revealing himself to you on a journey for years. And I have a question. What are you going to do? Are you going to continue to have sushi faith? Because this is a road that many miss. Look at Matthew seven thirteen. It says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. The majority of people will miss this because they're stuck in Pleasureville, Attainmentville, and Doubtville. Maybe that's you. Do all roads lead to God? No. But all roads except one lead to one place called hell. So what's your response? Are you going to white-knuckle your way to to Pleasureville, Attainmentville, or Dapville and eat sushi theology, or are you going to make a U-turn today? The moment you make a U-turn, the Bible calls that repentance. It's when you change your mind. It's when you say, God, you're right and I'm wrong, and I'm going to turn from me and I'm going to turn to you. And all of a sudden, the direction that we go begins to change. This is called repentance. Doing a U-turn is the only thing that got us to SeaWorld that day, that we went to SeaWorld. We were on the road for an hour, an hour and a half, and I was like, oh, give me that map, because the map was like all crazy and stuff. I remember so clearly, because I get flustered about time issues, and I was like trying to get them out, and I was getting angry and frustrated, and then once we got on the road, it was me, dumb me, that in my pride and foolishness did not follow the way. And the only thing that got us to SeaWorld was a U-turn. I had to make an exit. I had to get off the road I was on and take a different path. It's called repentance. See, it's time to put the blinker on. 
It's time to take this next exit right now. Because Jesus declares boldly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want to read this one verse, and then I want to pray for you. Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter is preaching for the first time publicly after the Holy Spirit falls on them all. And this is what he says in, in verse 10. Peter said, let it be known to you all that by the name Jesus of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, who God raised from the dead. He goes on to say, verse 12, there is salvation in no other. For there is no other name, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, there is no other way. He gave us a highway so that we could live a higher way because living for Jesus, it's a trip. Some of you are missing out right now. I want to ask you to put the blinker on, make a U-turn, and meet Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, that you are good to us. Father, I I understand that, that, Lord, the the word of God is, is sometimes difficult to accept, to believe, and to swallow. God, this, this is something that, this verse here is something that conflicts many people in this room right now because they're worried about a loved one, a friend, a family. God, but let them get back to the real answer is their own life, their own journey, their own walk with you. And God, let today, God, forgetting about their husband, their wife, their friend, the person next to them, but God, let them today ask the question, what trip are they on? What map are they following? Who is the one whose voice they are hearing? God, let today be the day the blinker is on, the U-turn is made, and they meet and find the way, the truth, and the life. God, let today be the day. With your heads bowed right where you are, I want to give you a chance right now just to talk to Jesus, just to talk to him. Tell him, say, Jesus, I'm making a U-turn. Go ahead and tell him in your own words. If that's you, it's time. It's time. You know you're, you're so far off track. You're so far down the road. It's never too late to turn around. The grace of God, the voice of God is calling you today. Jesus doesn't want to be a backseat driver. He doesn't even want to take the wheel. He wants to sit next to you and guide you through your trip and through your journey. God, I pray that we would listen to your voice today. Go ahead and talk to him. Say, Jesus, I make a U-turn right now. I turn from myself and I turn to you. Forgive me of my sin. Go ahead and talk to him. God, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for loving me no matter what. God, thank you for your grace that is given if I will receive it. God, I pray that you would teach us how to walk with you how to know you better, how to declare your hope and your love in a world that is broken and needs the only thing that can restore a heart is Jesus. I pray that anything good that we do, that it would be followed with the message of good news. God, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. If you prayed that prayer or you talked to God and made a fresh start with God today, could you do me a favor? As Sean comes uh, to, we're going to end our our time today, a couple announcements, and then we're going to go back to some worship. But if you prayed that prayer or would like to know more about the way, the truth, and the life, if you'd like to talk to someone, fill out that connection card, drop it in the offering bucket. I would love to talk to you more.
And by the way, if you want some sushi, I'll have some over here after service. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.